Good morning. Uh, can you hear me all right? Very good, very good. Uh, so nice to see everyone this morning. It's so nice to be here in worship, and uh, I just, I enjoy the singing, so I hope everyone else enjoys the singing, and it just it renews our soul, but more importantly, it, it glorifies God. And so I want to thank uh, Jamie for leading us there in song. Now, Job is where we'll start today. Turn your Bibles with me to Job. Job chapter 1. He'll be the first of three characters we'll look at this morning. Life is, uh, life is full of problems. I have problems, you have problems, we all have problems. Now, some of these problems can be out of our control. And as humans, sometimes we act like we can solve all problems. What's unique is that we create most of these problems. We create them, and then we think that we can solve them. But if there was no God, then it would only be natural for us to think that we could solve all problems. But the truth is, we can't. Not even the most powerful among us can solve all problems. And it's not that, you know, we can't solve, the, the, the problems can't be solved. It's that if there are problems to begin with, well, then there has to be someone to solve them. God is the only one that can solve all problems. He can solve problems big or small, significant or insignificant. And the question I wanted to tackle this morning is, does God solve our problems for us? Or does God mold and fasten us to better handle problems? Now, there seems to be three different kinds of problems when I look at the types of problems that we face in our life. Problems that no one causes, problems that we cause, and then problems that others cause as well. Nate's going to elaborate more on problems others cause this evening during worship from Romans 12. I hope you can be there for that. It's going to be great, I'm sure. But uh, when I look at the problems that we talked about, that we, that we mentioned here, how do they relate to the question that we're, we're contemplating? I'll give you an example. A tornado comes and destroys a city, or a child gets cancer. These are problems, no doubt. But they are problems not caused by you or me. They are simply problems that arise. So what do we do with those? How do we handle them? And is God going to fix them? Well, turn your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Job 1, and look at verse 9. The tribulation that it befalls on Job here is not caused by Job or his friends or his family. More accurately, it's caused by Satan. Job 1, verse 9. Read with me. It says, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We continue reading. Job not only ends up losing all of his possessions, but he ends up losing his family too. And it's tragic. And we want it to stop, but it doesn't stop. Jump down to the second chapter. Look at verses 3 through 7. It just continues. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He, is, he still holds fast to his integrity. 
Keep that integrity there, that word integrity in mind. We're going to be mentioning that a lot this morning. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan said to the Lord, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, this is, an, this is pretty extreme, and it doesn't usually happen to us like this in our daily life. Unfortunately, no matter how righteous we are, problems are a reality that we will face. Looking at these two passages side by side, notice God brings up Job again in that latter passage. Satan has already dealt with Job, we know this, and yet God mentions him, God mentions him in a rhetorical question. Have you considered my servant Job? In verse 3. We know this because Satan follows up with basically saying, well, men will give anything to keep their life. Verse 4, all that a man has, he will give for his life. When I look at this passage, the question that comes to my mind is, why was Job in these troubles? Why was he in these troubles? And when I come to answer that question, I have to realize what, what good would it be for Job to know this conversation? Does it change his situation at all? No. No, because it's about understanding what our true motivation of perseverance is. As humans, we love to find blame. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It must, we must find someone or something else to blame because it gives us an answer. We must have answers. And in this situation with Job, because we have a backstory, we can blame Satan. However, blaming, blaming is an easy way out that may give us a temporary answer, but no permanent solution. We think that if we can, we can find blame, then we can find the cause. And if we can find the cause, well, then that will lead ultimately to the solution. But it doesn't always work out that way, especially with problems that are out of our control. And so Job doesn't waste any time blaming God or Satan or China for his illness. And if we read through Job, we find that his friends who come to comfort him later actually have the opposite effect because they're wasting their time finding blame. Instead, Job defends his creator and he asks for solutions. See, problems not caused by us or someone else like natural disasters or cancer are often problems that are out of our control. And now when I say out of our control, I don't mean that there's nothing we can do. There are things we can do. For example, if the child has cancer, there are treatments that they can take. And as humans, we can work to find a cure for those illnesses. That's a great blessing that, that God has given us, that ability. But things that can be done only take us so far, unlike the one who is actually in control. But Job does do some stuff. He takes some action steps. What does he do? He does two things. First, it's found in Job 13, verses 14 through 15. Job 13, 14 through 15. It says, Why should I take my flesh into my teeth and put my life into my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This isn't the type of hope that we know of in the modern sense today in the English language. 
If we say we hope in the modern sense, well, then there's a possibility that we might be wrong. I hope that she's right. I hope that that's true. What Job is saying here in the Hebrew sense, this hope is an assurance in God. There is no possibility of this hope being wrong. We are instead, when we hope like this, when we hope like Job, we are instead, we're positive that it's true. Hope is the first step in a hopeless situation. Hope gives us confidence in the one who is actually in control and purpose with what we can do to assist in the problem. When we look at COVID, for example, we can blame China, we can blame our neighbors, but what good does that do? What good does that do? Does it fix the greater issue? Will everyone doing what they're supposed to and holding China accountable change and turn back the hands of time? Idealism and utopianism seldom provides real-life solutions. However, hoping in God is more than just wishing for a utopia on this earth or thinking that there's nothing we can do. Instead, it's specific actions. Specific actions with a God powerful enough to take control and resolve all of our problems that are beyond our control. Hope frees us from our worry and our strife about other people's actions and times of crisis and real problems. Another way Job combats this, these problems is found in Job 20, uh, 27. Turn with me to Job 27. And look at verses 4 through 6. Starting in verse 4. It says, My lips will not speak falsehood. My tongue will not utter deceit. For be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I will hold fast my righteousness, and I will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Did you notice that word integrity there again? That's the same word that God used to describe Job at the beginning of this book. See, Job knows what he has to do. He understands that problems not caused by us or someone else are solved by God. That integrity there, that means to be upright and righteous. And as the hand of God takes care of Job's problems, he moves forward. He moves forward with integrity. He does what is right to the best of his ability. For example, if your boss asks for your help on a project, what good would it do to do the complain and just do the opposite of what is actually helpful? Doing what is good is being helpful and useful to God as we allow him to take control of the situation. And when it comes down to it, the best thing we can do, the best thing we can do is always the right thing. Honesty is always better. Kindness is always better. Love always wins. And these are ways that we can assist in solving some of our problems. Now, those are problems that, that no one causes, but problems that really push us, problems that really annoy us, the problems that others cause, right? Let's look at some of those. Turn your Bibles over with, with me to Habakkuk. Yes, that is a real book, and you can, you can find it at the end of the uh, Old Testament, a couple books after Jonah. And if you're using the red Bibles in the pew in front of you, it's on page 493. 493. It's important to understand the context of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is, is having a conversation with God. He's, a, he's expressing his doubt about how God is to handle the sin of God's people. 
The problem Habakkuk is having is caused by others, specifically the sin of those in Judah. Habakkuk 1, 12-13 explains the problem Habakkuk is going to vocalize as he vocalizes his concerns. Verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So what do we do? We have problems that someone else has caused in our life. Well, that integrity we talked about earlier just a second ago about problems no one causes doesn't stop there. It continues to be important with problems others cause as well. Let's continue, continue reading Habakkuk. Jump down to chapter 2 and look at verse 4. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. I love this verse because it's almost a perfect definition of integrity. Integrity, to live by faith. We can't always control what people do. We want people to live righteously and to do the right thing, but in the end, it's their life. When our actions have negative effects, it often affects other people. And living in this world means we have to share this world with others. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that if we know what to do and how to act in our own lives. The question I ask myself, the question we have to ask ourselves, how do we live by faith? We'll drop down to chapter 3, Habakkuk chapter 3, and look at verse 2. It says, O Lord... I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Another version might say, Lord, I have heard the report of what you did. I am awed, Lord, by what you accomplished. How do we live by faith? We fear God. We fear God first. Habakkuk fears God because of everything he will do, everything he can do and has done. And then he goes on to list those in the following verses. You see, if God can handle problems that we face that are out of our control then fearing God should be easier with problems that others cause as well. As someone else's problems create more problems for us, we have an opportunity to come back with either a negative or a positive. That's why integrity is so important. Every good action we do, whether that be in private or in public, is a positive in our life. Look at same chapter, verses 18 and 19. It says, I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me, the sovereign Lord of my source of strength. He gives me the agility of the deer and he enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. Phrases like, I will rejoice, I will be happy. One of those positives is joy. Joy comes with fearing the Lord. And that sounds like like an oxymoron. How can one fear and be joyful at the same time? Well, Caleb said last week that Christianity is a practice. Others usually cause problems because they don't practice the integrity that we as Christians should and need to be practicing. You see, fearing God is a recognition of who is in control. It's a recognition of God's power and his divine hand in everything that happens. Excuse me. 
And Moses reminds us of this when he says, And now what does the Lord our God require of us? But no fear... But to fear the Lord our God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And then, of course, the psalmist reminds us, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 33, 8. Habakkuk not only practices these things, but he understands that God will assist in solving problems others cause as well. You can see the doubt Habakkuk starts off with in this book and then the confidence he gains at the end. God uses these problems to strengthen him and his faith. And this is why once we have accepted God's way of salvation, we must have the fear of God as the foundation of our steps moving forward. Remember what we said What the fear of God is, the recognition of who is in control, the recognition of his divine power and hand in everything that happens. Now, as we look at the scriptures for our final problem this morning, I'd like us to turn to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. This text here is about Elijah. Elijah is in the wilderness, and he's hiding from King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who are out to kill him because he believes in the one true God. And these people here... King Ahab and Jezebel uh, worship Baal and, and other idols. And while on the run, Elijah becomes depressed. He becomes depressed by the fact that no one else believes and, and he's the only prophet of God in the land of Israel. And he thinks that he is no good effect on God, for God. He's just no good as a prophet. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And, before, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, and thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Do you see what Elijah is doing here? He's blaming everyone else for his problems. The people of Israel do play a part in his problems because they're literally trying to murder him. I don't know about you, but when I fall into depression, it's, it's it's usually because of myself. I just don't see myself as significant or, or smart enough or good enough. I'm usually the culprit to many of my problems, whether I want to admit it or not. I'm not necessarily talking about clinical depression or discrediting it in any way. But here, here Elijah's problem is caused by himself. And you can tell from the text that he no longer has confidence in himself or God's people. Now, we may not be exactly like Elijah in the exact same situation, but when we reflect on ourselves, when we look at ourselves, when we are the cause of our problems because of maybe something foolish we've done or, or something we failed to do, or maybe like Elijah, our thinking just isn't right, finding the solution in ourselves will always lead to failure. The solution to our problems is not ourselves, it's in God. He is, as we've seen in those other problems, the ultimate solution to our problems. There are things that we can do. There are things that we must do, yes, but He, God, will fix any of the problems that we find ourselves in. Let's continue reading. Look at verses 11 and 13. 
Verses 11 and 13, same chapter. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see how God was in the whisper? Elijah was looking for God and he found him in the whisper. But notice, God was getting Elijah's attention. A whisper can pass us by if we're not paying attention. But here, after the chaos, it stands out. We have problems, but as God passes by, as he did for Elijah, are we going to find God? Are we going to notice him? We continue reading. Look at verses 15 and 18, 15 through 18. Here, God gives him a plan and helps him solve his problems. Verse 15, and the Lord said to him, go, return, to your, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elijah you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. Verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God has a plan for us. He's a plan for you and me, and we do ourselves a disservice to just beat ourselves up. So no matter the problems that we face, his divine hand is at work. And Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8, 28, when he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and for those who are called according to his purpose. God gave Elijah a mission, a mission to find God's faithful, men that will do God's will like Hazel and Jehu and Elijah. And when we are amid our problems that we have caused, we should find comfort in God and his faithful. After we find God, we find our brethren. And it's in the confidence of other Christians that we can be here for one another. God takes Elijah's mind off himself and puts it on God's people. People who he thought didn't even exist, but were there. When we look at our life and the types of problems that we're dealing with, we try to answer the question that we answered at the, asked at the beginning. Does God solve our problems for us, or instead does he mold and fasten us to better handle problems? The answer is yes. God solves our problems, and he molds and fastens us to better handle tasks in, future, in the future and problems that may arise. And we could do the same with our problems that we learn from these three men. Job and his illness had hope and kept his integrity. Habakkuk, while in doubt lived by faith, fearing and rejoicing in God. Elijah, when he was lost, he listened and followed God's plan. And it may be tonight, or this morning, that you have some problems. We all have them. And if you need it, we would love to pray for you. And if this morning you're struggling and would like to become a Christian, well, that's that's a problem we can fix right now. Don't be delusional and have the wrong type of thinking and think that you're okay like Elijah. Habakkuk 3.13 says, 
You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Jesus can be that salvation for you this morning. Repentance and baptism. If you understand and would like to accept Jesus' invitation to be saved, please come forward while we stand and we sing.